Have you ever wondered, <clears throat> what's God's will for my life? Not my life, but your life. What is it that God wants me to do with my life? How would you feel if you were to come to the end of your life and were to look back and to realize that you'd missed it? You look back over all the 70, 80 plus years and realize you missed it. You missed God's will for your life. How would you feel? It'd be pretty discouraging, wouldn't it? A lot of regret, certainly, and certainly the desire, which could never happen, to go back and do it differently. Let me ask you, if you were to know today what God's will for your life is, would you do it? If you knew without a shadow of a doubt what God wanted you to do, how He wanted you to spend your life, would you do it? Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. And incidentally, we always encourage you to bring your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we've got one you can buy, borrow, or have, depending on uh, your need, out in the lobby. But we want you to have a copy of the Scriptures for yourself. Of course, we always put it up on the screen as well, but uh, you need a Bible to read yourself. Matthew 28. Today, if you watch the Super Bowl, you will see why more people go to the bathroom during the plays rather than during commercials than any other time the television is on, because the commercials are great. Uh, even the beer commercials, they're so creative. you just got to watch them and be entertained. And uh, they ought to be good, because they spend major bucks on these commercials. Uh, this year, for 30 seconds of Super Bowl ad time, $2.3 million. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Well, let's get, that's 30 seconds. $2.3 million for 30 seconds. You know how much that is per second? $77,000. For one second. You'd be pretty careful about what you put on there, wouldn't you? When, you, when you're spending $77,000 a second, you want that second to count. Right? Compare your life to eternity. How long is eternity? It's eternal. How long is your life? Let's say 80 years. Divide every second, or every bit of eternity by every second of your life. And what does it come out to? Eternity divided by however many seconds? Doesn't matter. Still infinite. In other words, the time that we have here on earth, as it reflects the time that we're going to spend in eternity, every single second is even more valuable than the commercials that you'll be watching today. How important it is then, not only to discover God's will for your life, but to begin doing it. Matthew 28, look at the very end of the chapter, the last three verses, 18, 19, and 20. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You may find it hard to believe, but I just read God's will for your life. You say, wait a minute, Wayne. You're telling me that it's God's will for me to to go to New Guinea? To just sell my, I'm supposed to say house, I almost said sell my wife. Sell my house? (laughs) Sell my house, take my wife and go to New Guinea? Don't get those confused. Sell your wife, take your house. No, that's not what I'm saying. Settle down. I'm just reading the text. I believe that this, these three verses constitute God's will for the life of every person, even unbelievers, to come to the place where they would place their faith in Jesus Christ, that point to become a disciple who makes disciples. I believe that these three verses contain the seed you might say, from which our entire life sprouts, or if you want to use another metaphor, the filter through which every decision that we make in our lives needs to pass. And if it can't pass through that filter, then into the garbage can the decision goes. You don't do it. We are all followers of something. Um, Me, I am a fair-weathered Dallas Cowboy fan. I follow the Cowboys, especially when they go to the Super Bowl. Don't follow them this year. But they, when they go to the Super Bowl, if they win, great, I'm happy. But I get over it and move on with my life. If they go to the Super Bowl and lose, you know, I'm disappointed. But I get on with my life. I am a follower, and in some sense, of the Cowboys. But it's not that big a deal to me. I am not a fanatic about the Cowboys. In a similar way, uh, I feel this way about, about exercise, particularly lifting weights. I know you can't tell. It looks like I'm a fanatic, doesn't it? <clears throat> I'm glad you laughed. But I was at the gym uh, some time ago, and across the way, there was a guy, I mean, you know, one of these Arnold guys, who was lifting something that looked like, you know, an automobile. Just, it was huge, the weight. And he was not shy at all to let everybody in the place know how he felt about the amount of weight he was lifting. The man went through, I think, every vowel in the English language. A-E-I-O-U. Sometimes Y. (laughs) This guy, he was grunting and pushing and hurting. And he is a fanatic, no doubt about it, about lifting weights. I would never do that just because of my pride. I would not grunt the vowels in public like that unless Jesus said, that's what I want you to do. I would not do that. This guy's a fanatic. But you know there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. We joke about him, use him as an illustration, but there's nothing wrong with it. He's just more committed to lifting weights than I am, and that's fine. What is a fanatic? A fanatic is anybody that takes anything more seriously than you. That's what a fanatic is. Anybody that takes anything more seriously than you. Because if we can call them a fanatic, if we can kind of label them, pigeonhole them, and stick them over there, 
and say in the fanatic category, then that alleviates us, puts up a wall, alleviates us from the obligation of being like them. If they're fanatics, we don't want to be a fanatic. They're taking it more seriously than us. They're fanatic. I don't, I don't want to be like that. I shouldn't be like that. Jesus Christ has many followers today similar to the way I follow the cowboys. In the sense that we dabble with Christianity. We just kind of play with it. Kind of like I dabble with watching the cowboys. You know, big deal. Make the Super Bowl, great. I'll watch. Otherwise, it's not that big a deal to me. Jesus Christ has a lot of followers with the same commitment today that I have toward weights. Sure, I'll do it, but I'm not going to grunt and make it sound like I'm in labor over it. The commitment is just not to the level of complete devotion and, if you want to call it, fanaticism. So why is it? Here's the question. Why is it we say that our spiritual lives are the most important thing in our lives, but we don't give it the effort of a fanatic. We are not all consumed with our relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we say we are. We say we want to be. We say that's where we want to go. And yet when somebody asks us, well, how do you plan to get there? We say, I don't know. It's more of, of instead of spiritual strategy, it's spiritual evolution. It just kind of happens. It's rather than something we pursue. And I think that it's like this for the most part because we feel that we have already mastered the principles of the Bible. You know, after, after some years in this book, you can get very familiar with it quickly, and you can get pretty comfortable with where you are. And to where your, your spiritual life is more one of, in your mind, maintenance than growth. We're committed to spiritual maintenance, but not so much to spiritual growth. And I think that rather than conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, which is, by the way, perfection, we conform to the image of our Christian culture, which is, by the way, not perfection, including everybody here, including me. Because if you were to ask the typical American Christian, what makes a good Christian? They would tell you, a good Christian is a person who lives a moral life and who goes to church on Sundays. And that's it. That's what a good Christian is. But that's not it. That is American Christianity. That is not biblical Christianity. A cult is going to live a good life and go to church or whatever. What distinguishes Christianity from cults? Maybe this is why half of all Christian adults and more than two-thirds of all Christian teenagers say that they are still searching for meaning in life. God's will for your life, God's purpose, God's meaning for your life is clear. Look at the text again. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. We call this the Great Commission. What is a commission? A commission is when someone with authority uh, gives someone else authority to do something in their name. Which is why it says here... uh, Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We do something in God's name. Jesus says, all authority is mine. The Father gave it to me. It's been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, the implication of the fact that I'm I'm the one in charge here. I have all authority. The implication, therefore, is now for you to do this. Here's what I want you to do. 
Here is my will for your life. Go and make disciples. Of all nations. So why don't we go to Russia? We could have gone to any other place, but that's where the Lord led us. Uh, but you know what? You don't have to go to Russia to fulfill this great commission. Some people will. Some people will stay right here in good old Denton, Texas and fulfill it. How do you make disciples? That's the command. That's God's will for my life. How do I do that? How do I make disciples? Well, Jesus tells us. Baptizing them, teaching them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or to be obedient. So it's two parts. One, the baptizing. And that's not just talking about taking somebody and sticking them in the lake. There, I've fulfilled the Great Commission. There's a towel. <laughs> but what does the baptism imply? It implies that they place their faith in Jesus Christ, right? It implies that they've been told about Jesus. They've placed their faith in Jesus. And the baptism simply is like the, the capstone. It's like the wedding ring at a ceremony. You stick it on, bing, and it illustrates to everybody the commitment that has been made in a private, in a private way. It's a public declaration of a private commitment, baptism. So, first part is telling people about Jesus Christ. And again, you don't have to go to Russia to do that. You can do it right where God has planted you. I was uh, getting my hair cut uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I like this one guy in particular. His name's Jack, because the guy's fast. You know, I don't like going to the barber, you know, they just kind of sit back and look at it a little bit, a little bit more. I mean, this guy just wow, wow. And you're done. You're out. That's great. Here's my money, and it looks and it looks great. So he, um, I was sitting there, and he was, you know, working away. And he says, uh, "So what do you do?" I love it when people ask me that. What do you do? I said, "I'm a pastor." <laughs> and all these heads turn. I'm a pastor, and he's is quiet. And then, I, then uh, he says, well, where's your, where's your church? Where do you go to church? And I said, well, the Denton Community Church up on the square. He says, oh, yeah. He says, yeah, I've seen that. I've driven by that. And I said, well, where do you go to church? And he told me. And uh, he said, well, we don't believe like you believe. And I said, uh, well, what do you believe? And he talked a little bit. And I thought, well, let's just get to the issue. I said, well, how do you believe a person gets to heaven? All this while he's got sharp implements around my head. <laughs> And he says, well, I believe you got to uh, accept Jesus into your heart and live a good life. And I said, fascinating. That, that's great. I said, how good a life do you have to lead? He says, well, I don't know. I said, well, I mean, how good? I mean, how do you know when you've arrived? And he says, I guess you don't until you get there. And I said, oh, so you're a gambler. He said, no, I just don't think you can believe. You, you can know for sure what you believe. And he went on and talked a little bit more about that. We talked and he said, for example, I'm not even sure, for sure that you're sitting in this chair. And I thought about it afterwards. I wish I thought about it then, but I thought, you know, I, I, could, I could tell him, you know, I've already paid for this haircut. How do you know I haven't? <laughs> but I didn't think about it then. The guy might have become a Christian right there. But I told him instead, I got, I got almost as close to him as his money. I, I said, uh, 
he had his shirt kind of open and he had his, the chest hair sticking out. And I said, uh, all right, would you believe it if I pulled all the hair out of your chest? He said, no. And the lady that was washing the hair of another customer back there, she was just, I could see her in the mirror. She was just looking the whole time. But we talked a little more, and it was obvious that we come up against a point of logic here. And we, it was an impasse. But I don't share this with you to impress you with my evangel, evangelical, evangelistic prowess on the barbers of Denton. I share it with you because you don't have to have any incredible training. You don't have to go across the world to do what Jesus says is his will for your life. You can do it at the barbers. You can do it at the neighbors. You can do it at the employers, assuming they'll let you over lunch or whatever. Wherever God has placed you, look for that window, that opportunity to slide in a little bit about the Lord Jesus and to get into a conversation Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, or if you feel that's too intimidating, just tell them about yourself. Nobody can refute what God's done in your life. See, that's the first part. The second part, though, teaching them to obey. A lot of people will say, well, you know, I'm not a teacher. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel this really applies to me because I'm not a teacher. And yet, very clearly, the Bible shows us all throughout that we are to be telling people about our faith, so let me just say, while this Great Commission says that you are, there's a two-part, uh, that is evangelism, or telling people about Jesus, and then there is the discipleship, or helping them to grow in Jesus, those are not gifts to the whole church. They are commands. I, am, I do not have the gift of evangelism. Uh, that is not my gift. But, but I try to evangelize, because that's what God tells me to do. Uh, the teaching, though, does happen to be m more my speed. But, uh, and you may not be there, but that doesn't mean that you can't teach. Look at what the author of the Hebrews wrote to the Hebrews. And uh, just look at the screen. At Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Writing to an entire congregation, and not a congregation who are gifted teachers. He says, for by this time you ought to be teachers. Uh, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you come to need milk and not solid food. A little further down, he says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. You see, he wasn't writing to those who were gifted teachers, but to all who had been believers for several years. And we know that the... Uh, uh, the book of Hebrews was written during a time, uh, I think I can try to remember, I think about three, at minimum of three years, maybe a little more, that these people had been believers. And the author here says, hey, it's time. By this time you ought to be teachers, and yet you still need somebody to continue to teach you the basics all over and over again. By this time you ought to be sharing the basics with other people. He says, let's move on. Let's get past the simple things. I mean, not that we forget them, but let's build on them and grow to maturity. The passage clearly teaches us that before you can make disciples, you yourself must be a disciple. Or to put it more uh, pointed, as a believer, God's will for your life is to be a disciple. Is to be a disciple. 
What is a disciple? Well, disciple, I think, comes from some Latin word, but, but in the language in which the New Testament was written, I think the Latin word means like pupil or learner, and that's what, uh, that's what this means too. A disciple is nothing more than one who studies and learns, but Jesus adds to it that to make disciples is not just to teach them, but to teach them to observe. It is not just knowledge, it is application of that knowledge. Do we have a need for this in our culture? We have a need for this in this room. You know that the average high school student today, by the time they graduate high school, has watched 22,000 hours of television. 11,000 hours have been spent in the classroom. 10,500 hours with music. And only roughly about 600 hours of religious instruction. And we try to counter that with a 35-minute message on Sunday morning. George Barna is a, a, a Christian pollster. He takes studies and does all kinds of stuff. And he's just in the last two years has done a study of American culture, particularly American Christianity. And he asked adults why they're not more zealous about personal discipleship, about personal growth. Two-thirds says they're just too busy. We're just too busy to devote any serious time to growing. And to which all of us would say, yep, that's me too. And this in the same America where in the average household the television is on seven hours a day. Barna also discovered that while 99% of all believers own a Bible, in fact, even, in fact most own more than one Bible, only one-third believe that this book is not only the Word of God, but you interpret it literally. One-third interpret it literally. Which makes us understand why then one-fourth of Christians reject the resurrection. Which is totally illogical. Because as Paul says, uh, Christ hasn't been raised, you're still in your sins. But the one that really gets me is that over half of all Christians believe that a person can earn their way to heaven. That is, that is shocking, to which you would really want to say, man, do you, uh, are they really Christian? As a believer, God's will for your life is to be a disciple. And we're going to talk much more about this with other core values, but I want to focus on the, the, the second part of this. Remember the, that passage you read in Hebrews says, by this time you ought to be teachers. And so another aspect of it is, that not only as a believer, God's will for your life is to be a disciple, but as a believer, God's will for your life is to make disciples. In fact, those are Jesus' very words. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You know, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ may be personal. It is personal. But it was never intended to be private. We have bought into the lie that says, you know, a good American Christian is one who stays moral and who goes to church. And that's it. But that's not it. Christians are called not only to personal faith, but also to public influence. Have you seen, uh, last month I read how the tree frogs have invaded the Hawaiian Islands? Have you seen that? They, they're not indigenous to Hawaii. They came in on some kind of a, uh, fruits or something that they came in imported. But these little frogs, no bigger, see there's a dime, 
There's a pencil. Little bitty cute frog. Aren't they precious? <laughs> this frog, you would not believe what it is doing in the Hawaiian Islands. This frog, the male, the, the male of these frogs, is able to produce a sound up to 100 decibels. Do you know how loud that is? That's a chainsaw. That's a helicopter. And in some places in Hawaii, in the span of one acre, you've got 8,000 of these cute little frogs. No joke, the article I read said that people were trying to move from Hawaii. It's, it's gotten so bad. It's totally out of control. But they can't move because they can't sell their house. Nobody wants to buy it. So they're stuck. These cute little frogs have an impact for one simple reason. They reproduce. They reproduce. More famous now than rabbits, these little frogs reproduce. And this is actually biblical. You know, from the very beginning, God says, commanded the plants uh, to be created, and then they would sprout after their kind. The uh, uh, humans are to uh, be fruitful and fill the earth. And spiritually, we are to do the same thing. We are to reproduce after our kind. Look at what Paul wrote to one of his disciples, Timothy. He said, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 2 Timothy 2. Men, very clearly, you're to be reproducing. Titus 2. Ladies, very clearly, you're to be reproducing. There is no way around it. There's no way that we can, even though we're Americans and our culture says, hey, a good Christian goes to church, uh, stays moral, goes to church. And that's it. But that's not it. We have the obligation to make disciples. Make disciples. Every single believer, without exception, to make disciples. There's no way around it. Now, and I'll say this to you to make you feel bad. I say this to you so that when you're at the end of your life and you look back and you say, man, I missed God's will for my life, at least you did it with knowledge. Hopefully also, though, you'll say, you know what? I've been so duped by this culture. The culture tells me that all I've got to do to be a good Christian is to keep my life moral and to go to church, to do my deal at the church. And yet Jesus himself says, no. What I want you to do is to make disciples, to reproduce after your kind. A great definition of discipleship is this. Very simply put, discipleship is the process of personally growing into the likeness of Christ and being used by God to develop others into the likeness of Christ. But why don't we do it? As Barna discovered, and as you and I can agree, we're too busy. Way too busy. Our schedules are so packed with other things. It's not that we don't have passion. We just got passion for different things. Remember when in Route 66 we talked about uh, Haggai, where it says, consider your ways. We talked about first things first. Well, it's not the time to be building the temple of the Lord. God says, well, is it time to be living in your paneled houses? It's just a matter of priority. And so the bottom line is this, as far as discipleship, as far as growing personally as a disciple of Jesus, and as far as encouraging other people to grow as disciples of Jesus, uh, the bottom line is this, that if 
If you want to do something, you find a way. Say, well, I'm too busy. Great. But when you want to do something, you find a way. When you don't want to do something, you find an excuse. It's always that way with us. You want to do something? Find a way. You make it happen. I was talking to a lady between services. She says, man, we've got to go to Israel. We're, I don't know where we're going to get the money, but we're going to do it. It's just that's the way we are. There's something you want bad enough, doesn't matter what the obstacles are. You do it. You find a way. But if there's something you don't want to do, you start heaping obstacles and make excuses. And I feel that by and large, that's been our view on disciples, making disciples. Have you ever wondered why, after believing in Jesus Christ, God left you on earth rather than just taking you right to heaven? He didn't leave you here to chase golf balls. Unless you're using the golf ball experience to make disciples. And you can. And you're wise if you do that. But if the goal of your life is just to enjoy it, you're going to look back and guarantee it on the end of your life and say, man, was that it? That's all there was? Because we missed God's will. Some of you may be feeling a little duped yourself this morning. As we said, hey, we're going to tell you God's will for your life, and then we slam on you the command to make disciples. The Great Commission is not just an obligation, it's a privilege, but there is, there is a, it's a filter through which you make all your other decisions. For example, who are you going to marry? Where are you going to work? Where are you going to live? These are, these are usually the questions you associate with what's God's will for my life. And every single one of these questions has got to be filtered through the Great Commission. Who are you going to marry? You're going to marry somebody who themselves are a growing disciple and who are themselves also committed to reproducing. And if the, if, if the person is not even willing or at least desiring to come to that point, don't marry him. Because I guarantee you there's going to be an impasse of conflict there in the future. As far as work, where should you work? Work at a place that allows you, uh, that doesn't have you so strapped that you can't get involved in uh, growing yourself, being a disciple yourself, and also making disciples of others. Where are you going to live? I'm amazed at how many times people will come and say, you know, Wayne, we're, we're moving, and uh, uh, just want to say goodbye and everything. I said, man, great, fantastic. Where are you going to church? Well, I don't know. We'll find a church when we get there. And I haven't been bold enough yet to say, I probably should start if I could find a gracious way to do it, but why would you understand it's God's will to move someplace, but you have no idea where you're going to go to church? You know you're going to go to church because, you know, I mean, you go to church. But what are you going to do if there's not a good church? You're going to go into a sad church that doesn't teach the word, or you're not going to go to church, both of which are a compromise and both of which will not allow you to be a disciple or to make disciples. You see, every decision, start filtering every decision in your life through the Great Commission filter. And if anything catches, it won't allow you to be a disciple or make a disciple. It is not God's will for your life. You don't have to wonder. You don't even have to pray about it. It's not God's will, and you toss it in the trash can, and you look for another alternative. Because God's will for your life is to make disciples. There's no way around it. Jesus told a story one time about a guy who went out and scattered seed. He was sowing seed, planting seed. 
And he used it as an illustration of how different people respond to God's word. Some people, you throw it on the hard ground and the seed didn't take. Some people throw it on good ground and the seed did take. But this is how he ended that story. He said in Luke 8, let me get it here. Luke 8, verse 14. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. That's the two-thirds of believers in the United States that say we're too busy. Too busy to make disciples. Verse 14 is your verse. You have been choked with the thorns and the pleasures and the riches and the worries of this life, and you bear no fruit. No one you can point to and say, God has used me in this person's life. I give glory to God. I'm not boasting. But this person, because God has placed me on this planet, this person is more like Jesus Christ. Ideally, we would be verse 15, and this is the goal to which we strive. The seed in the good soil, these are the ones who've heard the word in an honest and good heart, hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. You see, if you want to do something, you find a way. If you don't want to do something, you find an excuse. And so my invitation to you this morning is for those of you who have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ to do that. There's no other way you can get to heaven but by God's grace, His free gift in offering you salvation. Place your faith in Jesus. And once you do that, commit to yourself just as you have uh, uh, committed yourself to Christ, so grow in Him and be a disciple. Allow someone to disciple you. Get involved in this, uh, this new basics members class, uh, Christian basic study. Outstanding timing, I think, sovereignly placed that they're going to be beginning the study and we're emphasizing this, what the Bible teaches on God's word for your life. If you have never had anybody had, have any input into your life, you're missing a lot. Uh, in fact, Barna did a study and showed that 99% of the people who have been discipled or have been mentored, 99% say it was worth it, it was, it was helpful. Only 1% said it was a waste of time. And I think that's probably more of a comment on them than it is the discipleship idea. And if you have been a believer for some time, as the, the Hebrews author said, by now you ought to be teachers. You ought to be reproducing in the life of somebody else. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Okay, no shame on you. Get involved and let us show you how. Uh, you've got a bulletin. We've got all these areas that people contact ministry leaders. Pick an area. Call them and say, you know what? I've been a Christian 25 years and I haven't done anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. Could I get involved? Would you show me how I can begin discipling other people? The opportunity is there for you to do God's will in your life. If you want to do something, you find a way. If you don't want to do something, you find an excuse. One guy admitted, I spent my whole life climbing the ladder of success only to discover it was leaning against the wrong wall. question I asked you up front, I ask you here at the end. If you knew right now today, without a shadow of a doubt, what God's will is for your life, would you do it? Well, you know. Now will you do it? Let's pray. Lord, a tough message today. Your son so poignantly made it clear 
that he's not left us here to just enjoy life, to just amass a lot of treasures, to just be moral and go to church, but all of these for the purpose of making disciples. And so I pray particularly for my brothers and sisters in Christ here who many like myself have gone for years without producing one individual in Jesus Christ. And I pray that all of us might admit it as the failure it's been and to make a conscious decision that we will obey the Lord Jesus and make disciples. In His name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you.